Father, we do thank you for this day that you've given to us, this day to come aside from all the cares of our world, all the recreations, and just rest. Rest in who we are in you, rest in your love for us, your love that we get to see in the way that we treat one another. Uh, Use this time to strengthen us uh, in our walk with you, in Christ's name, amen. So, children... This is your opportunity and not children. Please turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. As you're turning there, just a brief recap, catch us up. I've been going through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic work, The Cost of Discipleship, and trying to find the things that are good and profitable in the work and focusing on those things while acknowledging that there are things in the work that are, there's there's a reason he's called neo-Orthodox. He's not Orthodox. (laughs) Uh, But if we are careful to discern, then I think we can gain a lot from Bonhoeffer's insights into the Sermon on the Mount. I think he does, there's a reason that this is a classic work. So someone read for me Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 through 23. So Bonhoeffer entitles this chapter, The Great Divide. This final judgment is this ultimate division between the church and the unbelieving world. We've been dealing with the reality of the church versus the unbelieving world throughout the sermon. But this is this ultimate division. There's an ultimate divide here. There's a final divide between the church and the world. And so the question that we should ask is, what is at the heart of what separates the church from the world? What is at the heart 
of this great divide. Is it what we believe? Is it what we do? The, the, the separation, do, do we have a different ethic than people around us? Do we have a different profession? And clearly the answer is no, because many are going to say what? Lord, Lord. That's our profession. They're going to base their claim to the kingdom on a profession of faith, and God is going to say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. There are others who are going to say, in your name we did mighty works, we did wonderful works. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So it's neither our ethic as the church or as Christians, and and by ethic I simply mean what we do in the name of our faith, what we do as Christians, our ethic, uh, not stealing, not cheating, giving to the poor, the things that we do as Christians, that's not what separates us at this great divide. What we believe concerning our faith is not what ultimately separates us at the great divide. Bonhoeffer says, the separation of the church and the world is not affected by the church itself, but by the word of the call. And again, this is Bonhoeffer's entire thesis throughout this book. Discipleship is a response to a call. The disciple who has not been called, but takes it upon himself, is the rich young ruler who takes, you know, walks away sad. He, he would, he would take that discipleship upon himself, but Jesus has not called him. The one who is called by Jesus, that becomes the core, the heart of discipleship. We're not separated by what we do. We're separated by that word which says, follow me. That's the point of separation. Now, that may sound ethereal, but I think it's profound. That's right. The, the call goes forth to all people. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God calls all men everywhere to repentance. And so there is that general call. And many do respond, but they don't do so by taking on Christ as their Lord. <laughs> they don't see the cross, and they don't see the cost of discipleship. And and that's what Bonhoeffer is. His his real enemy here is easy believism. Uh, and and so anyway, 
So, so here's how this is such a narrow ethic. It's a beautiful quote. I love this quote from him. To be called to a life of extraordinary quality, to live up to it, and yet to be unconscious of it, is indeed a narrow way. To be called to this extraordinary life, to live up to that calling, and at the same time to be completely unconscious of living up to that calling, is truly a narrow way. And as we've been looking at, you know, the hiddenness and the openness and and don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing and all of that, we've been noting that our righteousness must be hidden from ourselves. And so here's here's where I hope this makes it practical, okay? Have you ever met a saint who is just the sweetest, I mean, the, 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 the savor of the gospel comes off that person? Think, have somebody in your head that you know that is just as close as you know to Jesus. <laughs> just this sweet person. Would you say that they would look at you and say, you know, I am one of the sweetest people I know. <laughs> I am one of the closest to Jesus that I know. <laughs> now, simultaneously, think of the person... <laughs> Who would say, I am the closest to Jesus that I know? Is that a person that you want anything to do with? They're obnoxious jerks. <laughs> and that's the beauty of this. That's what Bonhoeffer is getting at. It truly is a narrow way to live this extraordinary life to live to this glorious calling and simultaneously to be unaware of it. That's the narrow way. That's the way that Jesus calls us to. Now, as an illustration of this narrow way, the question becomes how... Oh, oh, let me get to the fatal flaw thing. The difference between that sweet saint who is surrounded by the fragrance of the gospel and the judgmental, overly pious is simply that the first is completely unaware of their own righteousness, and the second is overflowing with awareness and (laughs) self-righteousness. That was my quote. Uh, (laughs) But but that really does get to the heart of of what 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 he's saying here. So the question is, how do we avoid that fatal flaw? How do we avoid pursuing holiness while at the same time being completely unaware of it? That, that's, the, that's the narrow way. Now, when I was in my 20s, for a period of time, I worked construction. And I worked roofing, specifically. Others would come in and do the framing. My crew, we came in and put on the roof. And then others would come in and do the inside, the finishing, yada, yada. So I had to learn really stinking quickly how to carry one end of an A-frame roof truss and walk on a two-by-four header holding an (laughs) A-frame and getting it to the mark and bending over 
and popping it in on the right chalk line. And I learned that technique exactly through trial and error. (laughs) And the error I discovered was when I started looking at the path. When I was standing up there, and, and at that time, this was early in the summer, and we were building an apartment complex, and so it was a two-story apartment complex, and I was putting on the roof trusses. I was like 25, 30 feet off the ground, standing on a two-by-four in midair, and every time I looked down at that two-by-four, I got wobbly. But when I looked straight ahead, and I looked where I was going, I had my end insight, I could take that two-by-four, and I, or I could take that truss, and I could walk along the two-by-four. This is the point that Bonhoeffer is making. Here's his quote. If we worry about the dangers that beset us, if we gaze at the road instead of him who goes before, we are already straying from the path. For he is himself the narrow way and the straight gate. He and he alone is our journey's end. And when you get that, you get Bonhoeffer's point. That to be a Christian is not at its core an ethic. To be a Christian is not at its core a profession. To be a Christian is one who has been called by Jesus Christ and who responds to that call by Jesus Christ. And as that person continually fixes their eyes upon Christ, you discover, I'm walking a (laughs) two-by-four. You discover, he's keeping me out of the ditch. You discover... My life is joyful. At all the time, I can assure you, as a husband, as a father, as a person, all the time, I can assure you, looking at yourself and thinking, I'm rotten. I stink. (laughs) I'm a failure. (laughs) I'm not doing this. I should do that. I wish I was this. I ought to be that. I regret those. All the time. But if Christ is our model, then yes, we're always going to see how we're and we're not closer to it. And if Christ is our model, then we're always going to be pursuing holiness in Christ's way. Uh, so, anyway. So, Bonhoeffer goes on to say uh, that verse 21 of Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That is the very heart of the great divide. Not everyone who says, but the one who does. And he says, the one who says, Lord, Lord, is the one who has called himself to this task. He says, listen, I said, Lord, Lord, and the Lord says, I didn't call you. He's exactly the (laughs) self-called person that Bonhoeffer's been warning against, or Christ has been warning against. and, And Bonhoeffer says, this is a quote from him, the grace of Jesus is a demand upon the doer, 
And so his doing becomes true humility, the right faith, and the right confession of the grace of God who calls. We are to have humility. We are to have an ethic that is shaped by our faith. We are to have a confession. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There is a confession that is essential to Christianity. There is an ethic that is essential to Christianity. But that's not what is at the core of Christianity. What is at the core of Christianity is the person of Jesus Christ pointing his finger at you and saying, follow me. And it costs you everything. But when we're focused upon Christ, then it becomes a much sweeter. And, and you guys, everybody knows the example. Uh, there, there's nobody that I, in here that I've said, think of the sweetest saint you know. And every one of you were like, yeah, no, don't know a soul. Uh, and simultaneously, when I said, now, does that saint want to tell you how holy and righteous and good and just they are? Everybody said, no, they don't. We all know it. This is why. So at any rate, he closes with this. And this is a cool, this is a cool point. Because this, this great divide, this is the ultimate divide. This is the sheep from the goats at the end. Here's how he closes this chapter. He says, here we are at last. Here is the secret we have been waiting for since the Sermon on the Mount began. Here is the crucial question. Has Jesus known us or not? First came the division between the church and the world, then the division within the church, and then the final division on the last day. The end of the sermon echoes the beginning. The word of the last judgment is foreshadowed in the call to discipleship. But from beginning to end, it is always his word and his call, his alone. If we follow Christ, cling to his word, and let everything else go, it will see us through the day of judgment. His word is his grace. And I just I think that's beautiful because... This whole fear of the final judgment, Bonhoeffer's point is that final judgment happened when Jesus called you. <laughs> That's when the final judgment was. That's when you responded to the call and you either damned yourself or, or, or you, you responded in faith and repentance and grasping it. Uh, the, the final judgment and the terrors of the final judgment are all encapsulated in the entire thing which is called the life of discipleship. Now, I do have a few minutes left, so I do want to read one section, because I think you'll find this intriguing. As we've been going through this book, I've been talking about the struggle that Bonhoeffer has with this idea that the Christian life must always be pacifist. We must always be abused. Uh, if we stand up as Christians, if we... If we stand up for rights or, or whatever, as Christians, we're denying the gospel. Uh, and Bonhoeffer is real clear on that. And at the same time, 18 months after the publication of this book, he joined the Abwehr. Uh, and, and so we've discussed that, you know, how, how I believe that can be reconciled. So remember, this is 18 months before 
Bonhoeffer joins the resistance movement to overthrow Hitler, and he's writing this book as he is, you know, uh, people have asked him to come and stay in New York City and have an academic residency, and he stays for just a couple of weeks and, and says, i got to be back in Germany. That's where the evil, that's where the conflict is. I must go back to Germany. And so he goes back to Germany to be there and, and all of that. And at the same time, giving this Christian non-resistance thing. And you can see how he's kind of wrestling with this. And so here's, here's what I want to read to you. There is someone standing by my side who looks just like a member of the church. He is a prophet and a preacher. He looks like a Christian. He talks and acts like one. But dark powers are mysteriously at work. It was these who sent him into our midst. Inwardly, he is a ravening wolf. His words are lies and his works are full of deceit. He knows only too well how to keep his secret dark and go ahead with his work. It is not faith in Jesus Christ which made him one of us, but the devil. Maybe he hopes his intellectual ability or his success as a prophet will bring him power and influence, money and fame. His ambitions are set on the world, not on Jesus Christ. Knowing that Christians are credulous people, he conceals his dark purpose beneath the cloak of Christian piety, hoping that his innocuous disguise will avert detection. He knows that Christians are forbidden to judge, and he will remind them of it at the appropriate time. After all, other men's hearts are always a closed book. Thus, he succeeds in seducing many from the right way. He may be even unconscious himself of what he is doing. The devil can give him every encouragement at the same time keep him in the dark about his own motives. I think he's absolutely describing Hitler. At, at the time he's writing this, Hitler has just become chancellor. The, light of, the night of the long knives has not yet occurred. Hitler has not yet named himself Fuhrer. But this is published just as Hitler becomes chancellor. And I think Bonhoeffer is... is wrestling with that. And ultimately, you see the fruit of it later on in his life. But, but that's something that, that I, I think Bonhoeffer can, can really be powerful when we do acknowledge that there is a darkness, there is an evil. That's, that's neo-orthodoxy's fundamental problem, is we don't want to talk about the evil. We don't want to talk about the darkness. We deny it. We, we all that, and, and just focusing on this. Uh, and, and, Clearly, we're about to get into a lot of evil in the book of Leviticus. Uh, <laughs> Leviticus chapters 11 to 18 are some, some, some dark chapters. Uh, and, and Bonhoeffer just would not like to touch that at all. He didn't want to talk about that stuff. Uh, but he's wrestling with the reality of it right in front of him. Uh, so, so I do think it's interesting to see a, a contemporary paint that portrait. Uh, and, and so, clearly identify uh, what was going on at the time. But um, bottom line, the sheep and the goats, it is Jesus Christ. And if we are focused on Jesus Christ, then we walk that narrow way. And uh, he's seen in us. So with that, let me uh, close with prayer, and we can go into our time of fellowship. 
Father, we do thank you for uh, the things that we can learn from flawed saints. Uh, help us to learn with humility, learn for the purpose of knowing our Savior and keeping our eyes on him, manifesting him in a sweet and lovely way uh, throughout our days. In Christ's name, amen.